You are listening to Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5 KCZW and 106.1 KZCC Conroe and worldwide on the IRLoneStar.com. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Extension Hour. I'm Amy Ressler, County Extension Agent for Family and Community Health. And we are here every Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. with the Extension Hour, where we talk about our people, our programs, and our partnerships. And we are super excited today to have Judy Woodcock with us, who is a master gardener and also a beekeeper, and her daughter, Kim Fuller, who is also a beekeeper. But Kim, you said you're mostly just a hobbyist. That is correct, yes. But uh, Judy, you have quite an extensive background, Well, I've helped out at the extension office and have managed the bees over there for a number of years and I've kind of somewhat retired from that position now but have a fair number of hives of my own at, at on our property in Montgomery. Great. So this is going to be a beautiful afternoon because we're <laughs> going to talk all about bees. Um, but as we do every uh, time that we're here on the Extension Hour, we tell you a little bit about some of the other things that are going on um, in Extension because, um, you know, as you know, we've got lots of different programs and, and often people are kind of surprised to find out that we do something besides just Master Gardening or just 4-H or just Family and Community Health. Um, so Extension is all about helping Texans make their lives better. And there's lots of ways that we do that. Now, the summer gets really busy, Um, not so much busy in terms of um, a lot of public programs, but there's a lot of, we end up doing a lot of professional development type things. Um, There's a lot of things uh, that happen with the kids, with youth. In fact, last week, we um, were in college, not last week, goodness, it's just this week, like the last three days, we were in College Station um, for Texas 4-H Roundup. And that is where um, kids from all over the state come to um, the college, to Texas A&M campus um, to show off their skills. So they've done different things to be able to qualify to come to Roundup. And they um, participate in several different contests. There's public speaking contests. There's method demonstrations, or we call them educational presentations. There's quiz bowls. There's the food show and the fashion show. There's a food challenge. There's the... um, we have a new contest called Duds to Dazzle. It's relatively new, but it's a, a kind of a recycling, upcycling um, project related to clothing. And, and oh my goodness, there's just so much. So I uh, judged uh, the nutrition quiz bowl, and then I helped share with share the fun is another one that's pretty awesome. So they do. Um, it's kind of like a talent show. So there's a dramedy category. There's a vocal category. There's a musical category. There is a Celebrate 4-H category, so it's just a lots of different things wow. that um, kids can do. Um, and then I also helped with the food show, which was, was fun. Now, the sad thing is, is we don't get to taste their food. Um, no. just <laughs> for food safety um, precautions and that kind of thing, and, and what whenever I'm helping with it, too, I always tell judges, you know, whatever you do on your own is your own business. But I'm just saying, <laughs> if you get sick when you eat something. But some of those food that those kids bring in, oh, my goodness, you just want to eat it, eat it all up. <laughs> I bet. Um, so, and then also, it, so it stays really busy. So this week was Roundup. Next week is the uh, District 9 for each horse show. And then the week after that is the District 9 Leadership Lab. And so to participate in any of those kinds of things, kids already need to be involved in 4-H. But they, um, but, but we like to let people know that, you know, that that's happening because there's just so many awesome opportunities that maybe people don't really realize that 4-H has. And in fact, there is actually 4-H um, sponsors a beekeeping essay contest 
Um, so kids have that opportunity Very as well. Good. Yeah. It's very, very cool. Yeah. All right. So I've talked a little bit about 4-H. We'll talk about some of the other stuff later, but I want to get into talking about bees. Well, there's a lot of native bees in mm-hmm. our in North America. There's about 4,000 different varieties. <laughs> and people really haven't learned how to attract those, and you cannot manage them. So the founders of our country brought bees to America. That is the honeybee. It's a e-social type of bee, and they need each other to survive as a hive, as a group. Um, but anyway, the German, they brought the German, in 1622, they brought the German bee to America. And so, the so reason prior to that, there was no bees there, in America? No, or, we have 4,000 different oh, the varieties natives, okay. of native bees. But not honeybees. But not honeybees. Okay. And you cannot manage those bees. They're individual units. They're not e-social. They so don't need each other. They just kind of do their own thing? They, yes, they <laughs> do. Um, so our, the settlers in America brought in the bees. Basically, they needed them for pollinating their orchards, which is one of the reasons I got into beekeeping was uh-huh. for purposes of pollination. Um, but they also used them to for... They needed the wax for candles. Mm-hmm. They also used the wax for uh, waterproofing the canvas items. They used the honey as a sweetener. And I guess the most important thing about the honeybee is that you can manage it without uh, having hives that you can move around from one location to another. Pollination would not happen. And today it's a, a big deal for commercial beekeepers getting their bees to the various orchards at different times of the year. Wow. So when you say manage, so you, you can or cannot manage bees, tell me a little bit more about what that, that well, means. Well, the bees are kept in a square box. It's called the Longstroth Hive. And that's how you can box them up and put them on a truck and take them to a different location for purposes of uh, pollinating the almond fields, blueberry fields, strawberries, uh Apples, all sorts of areas, and your commercial beekeepers will be moving them um, from one location to another location and possibly bring them back to Texas for the winter. So it's really more like just managing the locations of where mm-hmm. the hives actually go. Okay, so like, so the, the what do you call them? Long? Longstroth. Longstroth. All right, yeah. so, so they, do they load up the Longstroth in, the, the, in they, a truck and take them across yes, the country? Take and them then, a- Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so like a, someone who wants to, needs bees to produce or to po- pollinate, they, they request a certain type of bee and the commercial beekeeper just well, brings, it, brings them on out? <laughs> well, they usually get paid by how many boxes of bees they bring. So that's what they do. They'll uh, bring a box that has, I'm going to use vocabulary that you need to ask questions about, okay. I'm sure. Yeah, well, I will ask questions. <laughs> um, you know, a box usually has 10 frames, so you're looking uh, full of bees. So mm-hmm. you're looking at a minimum of 40,000 bees in mm-hmm. each box that they are shipping to the grower. And he will set out a lot of these boxes, so many per acre, and they'll pollinate, say, the almonds. Then when they're done pollinating the almonds, they'll box them up again and take them on to another state where they might pollinate the apples. And this will go on for the growing season, season, and then they'll bring them back to winterize in in Texas. They can warehouse them up in Minnesota if they want to do that also. 
So do be, bees will naturally come back to their lung shots? Bees will always come back to their hive. Okay. So they go out, they forage, and at the end of the and they are constantly bringing back pollen and nectar mm -hmm. to their hive, and then they go out again. So basically, the bees that are forager are your older bees. They go out and do the foraging. They bring it back. They transfer their load, whether it's pollen or nectar, to another bee. That other bee is then going to process it and pack it into the comb inside the hive. So pollen or nectar, do they do they decide? Or like there's some bees that are pollen bees and some bees that are nectar bees? Or how does that work? A bee is covered with hair all over their body. Right. Even their eyeballs have hair. Oh, wow. And they clean that off and they pack it onto these, they call it pollen baskets on the back legs where they stack their pollen. So they may come back with a load of uh, nectar in their honey stomach and the pollen also. They unload the nectar from their honey stomach to another bee who then actually starts the processing of putting it into their honey stomach, rolling it up and down their, you call it a tongue, but it's the proboscis, and they're trying to reduce the moisture in that nectar until they get down to about 18.6, um, I believe it is. I have to go back and check my notes now. And that way, they once it gets to the right consistency or moisture content, they'll pack it into those little cells. And once it's hit that moisture, proper moisture content, they'll seal it with wax. And it is good for years. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've pulled honey out of the tombs in Egypt. Wow. That's wow. still perfectly good. So then also, but they're pollinators, so they help the growers because they take pollen from one plant to another to Correct. create, to continue the, the, the cycle of life, yes. the circle yes. of life. Yes, yes. So, um, so they come, you take them, the, the commercial beekeepers take them out to a grower, and then you said it could be up to 10,000 bees in just one box? Four, 40. 40,000. 40, I'm not really good at that. That's okay. <laughs> so yeah. how, do, how, do you, how do you count bees? One, two, <laughs> three. But they're so busy, and they're moving around a hold lot. still. Just hold still. <laughs> um, some of the other important things about them, um, in a hive, you've got two casts, male and female. In your um, female cast, you have your queen, and her main responsibility is to lay eggs, and that's all that she does. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the workers, and they do basically everything else. They, um, and different stages of their life, they're able to do different tasks. You might help me remember, Kim, some of those stages. But the first job, once they emerge from their cell, is to clean their cell so that it's ready for the queen to lay another egg in that cell. And then they start um, feeding the queen in the early days they can produce royal jelly which they produce in glands that are in their head and that's the only food that the queen gets fed and that's the same food that the larva gets fed for about three days and then they start feeding them pollen also along with the royal jelly um, but they groom the queen they clean each other they are the guard bees. They guard the entrance so that wax moths or other things don't move in. Chase hive beetles. Chase hive beetles. 
Um, what else are there? The undertakers, if somebody dies inside the hive, they are removing the debris and dead bodies. So there's all sorts of job and the workers do all of it. The male bee is called a drone and he waits, he is waited on hand and foot. He is fed, he, he can feed himself. But, but he, by the worker bees. By the worker okay. bees. They <laughs> the drones are pampered. Mm, His only job <laughs> is um, to go out into what they call drone congregations, and that's what the queens fly through. So he's only there for reproduction. That's okay. the only thing that he's good for. <laughs> I hate to say it that way. But, okay. in, but in the wintertime... Are there analogies? I'm just <laughs> in the fall, you'll see... And he's, he's a lot bigger than the workers. In the fall, you see the girls dragging the drones out of the hive. It's like, your services are no longer needed. I'm so sorry about <laughs> Done it. Done with you. But we can't afford to feed you any longer. We need this food to survive the winter. Wow. So okay. they kick the boys out. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. This, this, is, this is fascinating. Um, you know, I, I learned a little bit about bees in school and that kind of thing, but not a whole lot. So I'm really glad that you guys are here today. Um, and I want to hear more about the bees because, like I said, this is, this is fascinating, uh, the, like the social aspect of it, which we're going to talk about too, the eusocial, how do you say it, eusocial? Eusocial. Eusocial of um, the aspects of bees. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk a little bit more about what to do if you see bees, how to become a beekeeper. We've got lots of good things to talk about. We're, we're going to take a little break. Uh, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Lone Star Radio. Family and community health programs provide science-based education designed to improve the overall health and wellness of individuals, families, and communities. Developed by experts and delivered locally. Topics include child and adult health, nutrition, child care, financial management, passenger and community safety, and building strong families all encouraging lifelong health and well-being for every person, every family, and every community. We are Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, helping Texans make their lives better. Lone Star Community Radio is looking for those who are interested in hosting their own talk show. With monthly and weekly slots available on Conroe's FM 104.5, 106.1, and on IRLoneStar.com. Start your own podcast, create your first YouTube channel, and be on TV. Contact Lone Star Community Radio online at IRLoneStar.com or call the message line at 936-647-3776 to take your first step into the radio world. Is there someone you know who is hooked on vintage aircraft? Follow the commemorative Air Force and its fleet of World War II planes, including the mighty B-17 Flying Fortress Texas Raiders, which is based in Conroe, Texas. Texas Raiders tours locally and all around the United States, offering the public a chance to put their hands on aviation history. What could be a more perfect gift than a flight on a historic B-17? Taking to the sky on the iconic bomber is an experience that will never be forgotten. For the touring schedule, Reservations or more information, go to b17texasraiders.org or call 855-FLY-A-B-17.
Welcome back. I'm Amy Ressler. This is the Extension Hour, and we're talking all about our people, our programs, and our partnerships. And we've got great people with us today. We've got a master gardener, and we've got a beekeeper with us. So Judy Woodcock and Kim Fuller, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you, Amy, for thank having you. us. So uh, before we get uh, too far in, because I'm I'm like fascinated by this this whole social aspect of, of bees and what they do. Um, I wanted to also talk about Master Gardeners and some of the things that they have going on. So um, as you may know, they do a Saturday series of classes. So about once a month, they have some type of uh, public education event. So we talk a lot about Master Gardeners, and we're going to talk about the Beekeepers Association. And sometimes people don't feel like that they have got time to actually be a part of a uh, an association or something along that line. But uh, classes, public classes, you can just come to one or two. Um, or, I mean, as many as you want, but on Saturdays, uh, one Saturday a month, the Master Gardeners do two classes. So the first one is 8 to 10, and then the next one is 10.30 to 12.30. And in July, on July 13th, they're going to talk about water. So the first session is water sense, the right plants, less water use. And then they'll talk um, about knowing the best flowers. So the award winners of the knowing the best flowers so that's what is happening in July. And so this the, we're, we're kind of one week behind because last Saturday, the uh, topic was about bees. Um, it was uh, uh, what's all the buzz about bringing your bees to the garden and then other pollinators besides bees. And so um, that was a great class, great turnout. They um, really enjoy doing that. It's, uh, they do charge about $5. Mm -hmm. um, that covers materials and some refreshments and that kind of thing. Um, but there's also the Beekeepers Association, and they mm -hmm. do lots of things. So, yeah, before we get too far in it, let's talk about the beekeepers. And when do they meet? How do you become a part of that? Montgomery County has a wonderful beekeeping association. Uh, we nicknamed it MoCo Bee Club. Mm -hmm. um, but the Montgomery County Beekeeper Association meets the third Monday of every month. Uh, and the general meeting starts at 7 p.m., I believe. Uh, but we have a newbie meeting that starts at... I think about they change six, the time. Six, six, six fifteen, I think. 6.15, I think they changed the time to 6.15. Um, and so it, it, it's if you're just interested in bees, and uh, like some people just have to jump in and put their hands on and do it, or other people have to come and actually learn. You know, they are, they're more knowledge-oriented mm -hmm. instead of hands-on. But the club is a really great, great way to kick off. Uh, you get to meet a whole lot of beekeepers. There's probably a couple hundred members in the club. And uh, they're very friendly, very helpful. And it's fun to sit into the newbie meetings as well, too. Uh, the questions that are asked, uh, they may be repetitive, but the answers are just so helpful. Um, and it's just really, really wonderful to be able to connect with other beekeepers in your area so you can kind of tag team and work together. Okay, so I, I love that it's the new bees. New bees. New bees. It's <laughs> yeah. the newbie club, yeah. And so at 6.15, you said on when, the first Wednesday. Up. Third, third, mon Wednesday. third Monday. Sorry, I made myself <laughs> up. Okay, third Monday the of the month. third Monday of every month. And yes. it's at the Extension office. Yes, so that's at 9020 Airport Road, right across the street from the Lone Star Convention Center for people yes. that are familiar with that. Um, and so also if you've got any questions or you can't remember or I've confused you completely, <laughs> then um, you can always call our office too. So 936-539-7822. Um, um, and I always hesitate on that because we've got several extension numbers mm -hmm. for our extension office. But 936-539-7822 um, is one of those that you can call and um, somebody will find out uh, about that for you. Um, and then do the beekeepers have a website or a Facebook page? They do have a website, uh, Moco Bees. Uh, they also have a mentoring program. Oh, and awesome. I think that's so handy. I can remember... I was a new mentee, and my mentor invited me to mm -hmm. her home, 
and I borrowed her husband's bee suit and I put it on and she opened up that hive and the bees came just flying out like a volcano exploding. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself (laughs) into? I think I might have turned around and run. (laughs) But I did learn that the bee suit is trustworthy and it was um, when I went into it full steam ahead without really knowing anything about it before I ordered my first beehive. Yes. So if, if you guys don't mind, let's talk a little bit too about um, that, 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 uh, that you just described brought this, this visual to me. Like I said, I might turn around and run. I'm thinking about all of these bees coming towards me. So a lot of people have just kind of a natural fear of bees. Yes. It's the um, stinger. It, it's the stinger. So like, why and, and how, how do you address that? I mean, how do you get past that? Is it something that like has never bothered either one of you guys and you're just like, oh, it's a bee or... Is that so, or do you know people who have had to get over that fear and then Absolutely. become a beekeeper? They, yeah. they do. In fact, it's really, um, if you have a great fear of bees, it's really great to put a bee suit on and go with somebody who is very calm around a hive and, and see what it's like to have the bees swarming around you. Um, it's, it's really amazing to be in the midst of the bees and, you know, yes, you can get stings on your fingers, um, you know, and, and you can feel it, but it's not like... Um, the, the bee suit just does a really good job protecting. So we really yeah. enjoy our bee suits. We, yeah. The very first time I put a bee suit on, the, my, my immediate thought was, oh, my gosh, do I look fat in this? <laughs> oh, I, I think I look like the Michelin tire man. I mean, I just like, had this real issue of, like, right? image at that moment. And, and <laughs> But now you drive around um, in it. <laughs> I know. We, we went out to the first hive, opened up the first hive, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I love this bee suit. This is great. Okay, and all of that just changed. Does it make you feel invincible? You absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. and I've learned the hard way. Um, you know, having a mentor is really important uh, when you are a mentee. But I highly recommend to pay attention to your mentor. Uh, my mom was my mentor, and she gave me all this wonderful advice about what to do with bees and when I'm around bees and all that. And at one point, she had to say, "Please don't tell anybody I'm your mentor anymore, because you're not following the instructions I've given you." <laughs> So going out to the beehive in flip-flops was not the wisest choice for me. You know, just mm-hmm. those things that I learned the hard way and thought, you know, okay, they really do have some important information to share. So you guys also were talking about um, some mentors and getting into it and learning, and, and everybody does it just a little bit differently. So even yes. when you learn from your mom um, or any other mentor, you may end up doing things just a little bit differently. Than, Every beekeeper yes. has their own way of doing things, and it's fun. People that I have been a mentor to, I am now learning from those mentees because they've read something or they heard something from somebody else, and I'm going, that's a great idea. So it's a constant sharing of ideas, and it's basically experimentation to see what works for you because everybody has a slightly different way of of handling their their bees. Um, And I think one of the best ways to start out is to be a member of the club or to come and at least visit and Mm -hmm. see, pick up some books and start reading. But it really is a hands-on adventure. It is. With a suit. With a suit. With a suit. (laughs) Really, really enjoy my suit. I do. So, and that's, you know, one of the things you just said about you're always learning something new. That's what I love about um, the master gardeners, about master, any kind of master volunteer program, or 
actually what I love about extension is um, we're always learning new things and helping people to discover and learn new things. So, um, you know, extension agents, master volunteers, we've got lots of great information, but that doesn't mean that we're not learning as well. Um, but we've always got something that we can help others um, learn and um, to use to make their, their like I said, Texas, te our uh, mission, our tagline is helping Texans make their lives better. So there's always something to help us make our lives better and help others better their lives. So what would you say is one of the most important lessons that you learned right away? Um, basically to keep learning, just yeah. to keep learning. Um, a new beekeeper who's looking to get started, it's good for them to own the bee suit so that they can go with another beekeeper to their apiary and look and see how they've set it up. You know, why did you place your hive about 16 or 14 inches off the ground? So I can tell them, well, because a skunk likes to shake up a hive and eat them as they fly out. And if you elevate your hive a little bit, that way their belly's exposed and the bees can sting them on the belly and chase them chase off. Them so there's a lot of little things that you can learn just by going and visiting and it helps you to understand and learn the vocabulary. I think also for me, one of the things that's been helpful or as I became a beekeeper is understanding early on that you really can't do it wrong. You know, there's, yeah. there's, you're going to have failures, you're going to have successes, you know, you're going to, you're going to learn by hands-on. And again, that's why we really value uh, everybody's experiences because what has not worked for me, I may be able to pick up from another person. Um, and, and so not to feel bad when something doesn't go exactly the way I thought it should. You know, there's mm -hmm. just a lot of removal of the fear of failure with that. Yeah. I would say most of the beekeepers in this area use the um, Langstrop hive, which is a, a box system. There's also top bar hives. Uh, our, my son in uh, Albuquerque had done top bar hives. So your first thought is, okay, what kind of a hive do I want? So you have to start investigating the equipment. Uh, I suggest people look online, get a bunch of catalogs from different vendors and start looking at what's available and then start deciding through a, a mentor program or just asking questions with other beekeepers about, you know, well, what works best for you and how do you manage it and so on and so forth. Um, I've gone to people's property to help them decide where they want to locate their hives. Uh, do you want to do full sun or do you need to do shade? If you think about the bee in, in nature, they typically are looking for a shady, cool spot in a tree. But yet I've seen them out in the middle of the pasture also and doing just fine with other friends that are beekeepers. That's, there's a lot of problems if you try to put them in the woods um, that you have to know exactly, okay, I need to lift my trees up so that they can get some filtered sunlight. The sunlight in the morning helps wake them up, warms them up, and gets them going. Right. So we're going to have to take another little bit of a break. But when we come back, I do want to talk about things like, um, so why, why would someone want to become a beekeeper? And then you mentioned success and failures that you're going to have. Uh, you know, what, is, what does a success look like? What does a failure look like in a, in a beekeeper? Um, and just, to, you know, why, why, why do we have bees? <laughs> We're going to get deep and philosophical. We may go back to that social aspect, too, because that, that's still, in my mind, fascinating me. Uh, but we, we'll be back. This Lone Star Radio 104.5, 106.1, and worldwide, www.irlonestar.com. This is Extension Hour. We'll be right back. You're going to need me. 
You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're going to need our determination, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Don't forget to download the Lone Star Community Radio app for your Google Play or Apple Store. Bring Montgomery County's community radio with you anywhere with your smartphone or tablet. If you are in the Conroe area, tune in on FM. That is Conroe's FM 104.5-106.1. Want to check out the fastest growing sport in the world? It's right here in Conroe, Texas, and it's roller derby. Conroe Roller Derby is a nonprofit recreational league of women and men who want you to come and check out the fast-paced, hard-hitting game of roller derby. The Conroe Cutthroats practice at Rainbow Roller Rink on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. You can find our game schedule and more information on our website, www.conroerollerderby.com. The Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service has been dedicated to educating Texans for over a century. In 1915, the Extension Program was established under the federal Smith-Lever Act to deliver university knowledge and agricultural research findings directly to the people. Ever since, AgriLife Extension Programs have addressed the emerging issues of the day, serving diverse populations across the state. Texans turn to Extension for solutions in horticulture, agriculture, 4-H and youth, and family and consumer sciences. Extension agents respond not only with answers, but also with resources and services that result in significant returns on investment to boost the economy. Join us Fridays at 1 o'clock for the AgriLife Extension Hour. And we are back. I'm Amy Ressler. I've got Judy Woodcock and Kim Fuller, and we're having a great conversation all about bees. It's a very beautiful conversation with beautiful women. Thank you so much for being <laughs> well, here. Amy, you were asking about why would you do bees? Right, right. Well, I got into it because my husband said we need bees for pollination. Ah. And of course, we also like the honey. It's one of the nicest gifts you can ever give to somebody mm -hmm. is a nice big bottle of honey. So... You know, those are the two products, I guess, that everybody's after. And a lot of people, as Kim was saying, are, are doing it just because they know that bees are having a difficult time and they want to help support pollinators. pollinators. They, they want to host pollinators. And so they're actually uh, getting into beekeeping uh, just to provide the areas with places for the bees to be. Because there, there are some bees, if we don't have enough bees... Plants don't grow, correct? Basically, so right. plants don't grow. We don't have food. We don't have clothes. Correct. We don't have. I'm, They're vital it, it, to the to environment, our, yeah. to the ecosystem. Yes. yes. Well, it was interesting before we had before I got some hives. We had very few bees on our property, which kind of surprised us. And of course, now that we have bees on the property, we're definitely uh, seeing lots of bees floating around, um, and they do help with the pollination. Mm -hmm. So when you said uh, that you your husband wanted them for pollinators, was that for something like just with your yard, or was he thinking bigger, bigger terms? He grows fantastic tomatoes. Oh, okay. And he was thinking of the tomatoes because you have to pollinate them, and it sure beats going out with a little paintbrush, moving the pollen around and the little flowers mm -hmm. to let the bees do it. So that's why I got into the bees. Now he's probably wondering, 
I don't think we need quite that many beehives. <laughs> <laughs> so how many beehives do you have? Um, at one time, I, I, I'll admit to about 20. Mm -hmm. Eight. 28. <laughs> <laughs> don't lie, Mom. She knows. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, I am gearing back a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot more work than I really have the time for, so I've decided to uh, sell some of my hives, but thoroughly enjoy it. So how much space do you need to be a beekeeper? I mean, is, do, do people do this like in crowded neighborhoods? You Absolutely. There's restaurants that have them on the roof. Oh, you might never know. There's huh? a restaurant in New York that has a garden on the roof, and they have beehives up there also. Um, I've seen somebody in a lake house have them up on their um, an elevated balcony mm -hmm. over the lake oh, and wow. have bees there. They have beekeepers in the woodlands. They have beekeepers in Walden. In Kingwood. I yeah. Mean, all over. I mean, all. You, you can even have a, a beehive off of your apartment balcony. Um, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So, and then in the residential neighborhoods where the lots are smaller, you can still have beehives there as well, too. It's just good to let your neighbors know and make mm -hmm. sure that everybody's aware, you know, that there's bees and um, most everybody's very agreeable to letting you have bees on your property. They, they, they welcome it. Because it, of the benefits. Because of, right. of the benefits. Yes. Plus well, they get free honey as a gift for being a neighbor. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, bees harvest in roughly a two mile radius from where their hive is. And they will go up to four, four and a half miles from where their hive is. And if you live in a uh, subdivision, if you just face that hive, you know, make it, set it a couple feet away from the fence, but you aim it towards the fence, then the bees come out, they have to fly up over that fence before they take off in different directions. Mm -hmm. And that gets them above everybody's heads. So it's not like they're gonna go over the fence into the flower next door. Um, the bees come back and communicate to the other bees in the hive where there's a large planting of, say, something they want. Maybe it's a particular uh, pollen or a particular nectar that they feel like they want. They come back into the hive and they do a little dance. And through that dance, they're communicating where this... The location. The location, is. yeah, is of this mm -hmm. harvest. So they'll then group the guys together and they'll go out and they'll collect. So whether it's to a, a blueberry farm or a, a pasture of wildflowers or whatever it might be. All right. And so Kim, you said that honey is mm -hmm. your primary interest in, it is. in having bees. Yeah. When um, uh, my brother and my mom have both been in beekeeping and uh, my mom said, oh, you should get into beekeeping and be a lot of fun. And I'm thinking, oh, I really do eat a lot of honey. Good idea. So I just jumped in with both feet, didn't read any books. Um, I just like, well, I know people. I'll just ask questions. Mm -hmm. And so just jumped in and started um, beekeeping. And so my beehives, I, I keep bees for the honey. Uh, okay. That's what I'm looking for every year is harvesting honey um, and, and thoroughly enjoy it. And some years I've had very large harvests and uh, other years not as much, but I've always had enough to share um, above and beyond outside my own home. So that's been wonderful. So how many beehives do you have, Kim? Uh, my husband has capped me at six. <laughs> he said, cut you off. I am not allowed to have any more than six hives. Currently, I have five. Um, and so there's room to, you know, add, add another one if my girls grow large enough where I can split a hive and make a, another hive. So, and how much honey do you get from those five, six hives? Oh, my goodness. Um, You'll get about 30 pounds out of each 
honey super that you put on a hive. And a hive can have several supers on at a time. So, I mean, I have pulled, one year I think I pulled 220 pounds of honey um, in one season, which was quite a bit of in honey. In the spring season, yeah. It was a very large season for right. me. So tell me what this thing is, super. A honey super is just the size of uh, one of the smaller boxes that we put on top. So the hive body is consist, uh, it consists of um, boxes. Mm -hmm. And the larger boxes on the bottom are called brood boxes. Uh, that's where the queen is um, laying eggs and the bees are raising uh, the babies or they're, they're helping, they're doing all the chores, they're putting pollen away. And as the boxes grow, we typically, we do, uh, mom and I like to have two deep boxes. We call those boxes deeps. We like to have two deep boxes on top of each other and let them build up a very strong colony in stores. That way they can survive through the winter very well. Um, and then once they have built their, built and established two deep boxes, we put uh, a box on top called a super, a honey super. And it's a little shorter than the deep boxes, and um, it has frames in there that uh, the bees have drawn out, and they go up there and they start stashing extra honey. And as soon as we get the capped uh, frames of honey, we can pull those out and either put them in the freezer and wait until we have um, all the frames we want to harvest at one time, or we can start harvesting right then and there. And so how do you how do you harvest? You just turn it up and like, like let it. <laughs> well, that, that is one way mm -hmm. you can mash it and then strain it through a jelly bag. That would be one way of separating the honey out of the wax. Uh, or I've got what is referred to as a radial extractor where we put the frames in it and you can get it motorized. I've got the old fashioned kind that you just crank Hand it around crank. Yep. and it, fl the centrifugal force um, each cell in the frame of honey, each little wax cell, is at about a 15 degree upwards. So when you put it in the extractor, your centrifugal force puts pressure on the back side of those cells, and the honey sits the, hits the sides of the drum, and it drains down. We filter it and fill up five-gallon buckets one after the other. And then we let it settle for two or three days, and then we'll start bottling that honey. And then we'll store it for for as long as we want to store yeah, it. Honey like, is one of the foods that does not ever go bad, right, pretty much? It does not go bad. It will crystallize, mm -hmm. uh, and that's why it's important to, and, and oh, I'm going to say something that I'm going to have to retract, <laughs> but... Um, it depends upon what type of nectar. Some nectars will crystallize faster than others. Also, if your honey is chilled, like if you keep it in the garage, the chilling effect seems to cause some of the crystallization, which the crystallization is taking the sugar crystals and separating it from any water that's in there. It can ferment if you leave it like that which means you better figure out how quickly how to make some mead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just thinking that it turns to mead, right? Cause, and that is, that's where the term honeymoon comes from, is mead. Is there oh, something I don't like know that? that. I, mean, I don't know. There, okay, and I'm, yeah, so I'm saying something I'm probably going to have to retract. I probably shouldn't say things that I don't know fully about. <laughs> but it has something to do with the time that it takes to make mead and the honeymoon. And it used to last like 30, how long does it take to make mead? I, I don't no know. He's never okay. made it. Okay. <laughs> Not on purpose, anyone. I've right? got a He's trying to talk me into making honey whiskey, ah, but I haven't done that yet. That sounds interesting. <laughs> so there's so many things that you can do if you were like Absolutely. a beekeeper. Put so it on your toast, put it in your whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> 
and the nutritional value of it. Sorry, you talked a little bit about local honey, and that's that's a big thing now. People are really it interested really in what came from nearby. Where it comes from, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, people, um, they actually care where their honey comes from. Um, and so if you can provide local backyard honey or local honey that's only been uh, run through a filter one time, there's so many nutritional benefits in there. Um, it really helps people. Um, people with allergies tend to notice uh, a, a lot of help from eating the honey that has come from their local area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can actually find honey um, by zip code, I believe, you know, find out where you can find honey. Um, that's actually pure Texas honey. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I have some people that prefer spring honey versus fall honey. If they have fall allergies, they want fall honey. If their spring allergies are worse in the spring, they want spring, spring honey. honey. So sometimes, uh, sometimes in one frame, I'll have both spring and fall. But there's a lot of times where I will have just spring honey and I'll have separate fall honey flows. And the reason your fall honey is darker in color is that your pollens in fall are stronger colors. So it's, it's just darker. You have your goldenrod, you have milkweed in the fall that blooms that they'll harvest. And in the spring, you've got your, all your wild wildflowers, tallow trees. Oh, yeah. And a tallow tree is kind of funny. Everybody mm-hmm. thinks it's an invasive species, but it's one of the best flows we, we get. It. Yeah. We love tallow trees. One of the best flows with honey. So when they they're, come... they're collecting a lot of nectar okay. uh-huh. out of that tallow tree when it lets down its tassel. Huh. Very interesting. Okay, so there's so much we can talk about. We're going to take a little break. Uh, Before we do that, let me tell you, agriculture, some of the things that are happening. Achieve Your Vegetative Control Goals is a workshop that will be tomorrow, actually, Saturday, June 15th. And that uh, actually was rescheduled from earlier, uh, about a month or so ago. It had to be canceled because of the rain. But it's about um, forest health management, woodland aesthetics, wildlife enhancement, wildlife prevention, all those kinds of things. And that is um, registration starts at 9, program starts at 9.30 until 11.30. And then later on in July, and we'll talk about this more detail, but July 23rd, there is going to be a resiliency workshop. And this is all about disaster preparedness. Um, Like I said, we'll talk about that more, but we're going to take a little break. We're going to come right back and we're going to finish up with some great uh, tips for getting started um, becoming a beekeeper. We'll be right back. Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service is all about extending knowledge and providing solutions. We do that by using science-based information to create high-quality and relevant education for the people of Texas. More importantly, this outstanding education is delivered locally, right here in our county. We encourage lasting and effective change that helps our communities and our county thrive. We are Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, helping Texans make their lives better. Lone Star Community Radio is Montgomery County's radio station with talk, music, weather, and traffic for Montgomery County. Have a question, comment about one of our shows? Want to know how to reach a host? Just contact the station on IRLoneStar.com or call in and leave a message at 936-647-3776. Get involved with your community with Lone Star Community Radio. Did you know there are more than 790 abused and neglected children currently in foster care in Montgomery County? Will you help make a difference? I'm Allie Stevens with Costa Child Advocates of Montgomery County. We train and support volunteers to be the voice of children in the foster care system. Kids are moved from their home because of abuse and neglect, and we need volunteers just like you to advocate for these children. To learn more about becoming an advocate, 
please visit casaspeaksforkids.com. That's casaspeaksforkids.com. Listen in Mondays at noon to hear Conroe news from local nonprofits, businesses, upcoming events, Conroe Park events, news stories, and information that matters to you with your host, Margie Taylor of Taylorized PR. For more information about being a guest, visit IRLoneStar.com slash Conroe Culture. And we are back with the Extension Hour, all about people, programs, and partnerships. And we're here on Fridays, 1 to 2 p.m. We've got lovely guests with us today. We've been talking all about beekeeping and bees and just lots of great things. And so, um, you know, there's, there's, there's more stuff we could talk about, but we want to talk a little bit about how to get started. Uh, and you guys mentioned in the break, it's not necessarily an uh, economical or cheap hobby. I mean, it, it, it does not. take a little bit of money to get involved uh, and started with it. I mean, the boxes and the suits, and you even have to buy the bees, right? Well, well and, and you can try to catch a swarm, especially in the springtime, but that is one of those things that you're not going to be able to pick up a book and read about how to collect a bee uh, swarm. Um but it's certainly possible that you can attract a swarm to a hive, or if you find a friend with a swarm dangling out of a tree. Uh, well, I was going to say before you got into that part, because I think that's like uh, um, with the boxes, you know, with the bee equipment, you can you can either buy everything brand new, mm-hmm. or you can actually find used equipment. Like there are some beekeepers that are retiring. And so you can actually get your hands on equipment that's still in good condition and you're not paying. It's not a cheap hobby if you're starting off, um, you know, fresh and everything is brand new. Mm-hmm. And actually that used box is, has the smell and yes. flavor of a hive. And it's and much more attractive. Your, your success at capturing a, a swarm exactly. would be much greater exactly. with because, used equipment. Right, because it's already, we call it stinky. You know, even though it's not, it has a wonderful wax smell mm-hmm. in there and the, and the propolis and the wax. Um, so you can either, you can start several different ways. Um, again, either by purchasing everything brand new or by, again, joining your local bee club and getting to know the other beekeepers, finding out, is anybody retiring? Does anybody have any extras that they want to sell? Um, and so you can get it at reduced rates. Um, that's a really great way to start gathering your things. Um, if, if, um, finances is something that you actually, you don't have to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And Moco sense. Bees now on their our website has a page where different buy, bee sell, keep, and trade. buy, buy sell and trade. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it's yep. a good way of picking up bee suits and anything yes. else that you need. Some of the essential things that you're going to need right out of the gate is called a hive tool. You'll need a smoker and you'll need a bee suit. I think those are probably the three Things yeah. that you'll need right Don't out start of- without those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we, 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 we like our bee suits again. We really do. <laughs> we, we have friends that go, you know, without them, but um, they're braver than we are. We've been, I've been stung enough times where it's, I'm happy with my bee suit. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think those three to- tools are um, probably your, your most essential. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the box and the frames and all the little things that you need, need that make up the components of the hive. Um, and then the other thing as you um, as you join the club, like mom was talking about where you get your bees, you can you can either catch swarms or have a beekeeper uh, help you catch a swarm or attract swarms to you, or you can buy packages or already like nukes. We call them nukes. They're actually it's short for nucleus. Um, and you can install a nuke into your hive um, and start off with a very small little hive that'll grow 
uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. So what do you think is one of the things that surprises people most after they get into becoming a beekeeper and something that maybe you didn't think of before you got into beekeeping? Or do you even recommend that people make sure that... I think it's it's the fascination. Yeah? They are such interesting creatures to study. Um, They have such a harmonious uh, way of working together in the hive. What, what are you going to say? Oh, um, that um, it's just very interesting and fascinating to study them and watch them, to see them fly in with a little bit of yellow on the back of their leg. Um, the way they plaster their air, all their equipment together. They collect sap off the trees and other plants, and they mix it with a little bit of wax, and it's called propolis. And they take this propolis and they cover the inside of their hive to um, make it sanitary. It's like an antibiotic. It's a, yes. In fact, there's people that now are wanting to buy the propolis and they'll reduce it in um, Everclear. Everclear, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they'll take a dropper full every day and it makes them cold free and every, you know. So they use it as a tincture. Yeah. Mm. So lots of things you can do with these. And the royal jelly is also used in cosmetics and that kind of thing as well. That's well, or, or is that people will eat that? Yeah. yeah. Um, they have to. That usually comes from China. That yeah. royal jelly, um, where they collect it out of the little cells, and it's a lot of collecting has to go on to get any quantity of that. And it's, it usually ends up being really expensive as well, yes. right? Because yes. of the work that goes yes. into that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think also with uh, having bees, it's something that kind of grows on you. You know, you start off with your uh, one or two hives, and then, like Mom was saying, that they just start getting fascinated with how they actually function and operate as a community. And then you want to add another hive, or they have grown enough where you can split it, and so this it becomes, um, it just becomes a very interesting thing that you can invite people over like I have a five-year-old grandson that lives with me mm-hmm. and I have a bee suit for him and so you know it's fun to put him in a bee suit and take him out to the hives and let him get into the into the hive and explore and see what what that looks like um, or friends who have been afraid of bees to come put a bee suit on and uh, get into a hive with us so this it's just actually a really fun um it's just fun. It's just a lot of fun. And a lot of people love to help with extraction. Yeah. <laughs> They're looking for free honey. <laughs> yeah. Take a little bit home if you help. Exactly. Yes, it, but it is. It's, it's a lot of work, uh, but it's a lot of fun work. Um, it actually reminds me uh, of old, older days where uh, women, or women and men worked in communities in the kitchen, and you've had the big mm. canning or the jarring or the uh, whatever it was. it was. It's just a lot of community. Yeah. We've gotten together with other friends that are beekeepers and we've built frames together in January when we're inside and there's nothing else that we can do with <laughs> our bees um, and just build things or paint things and build boxes. Yeah. So is there an ideal time to start? Spring is really an ideal time to start, um, but you really could start any time of the year. It just depends upon what you're starting with. So if you're starting out with this nuke, this nucleus that Kim talked about, the best time of the year is in the spring because that gives the queen the time to start laying. Her workers have to produce the royal jelly to feed the larva so she can't produce out what they can manage. 
So it's a slow growth at first. Now, a new beekeeper would want to mix um, syrup up, which is one pound of water to one pound of sugar, and you feed the bees. It takes eight pounds of nectar or this sugar syrup to make one pound of honey. And they have to build all that comb starting out in a new hive. So it may take several months for them to get that bottom box filled with bees and honey and nectar. Once that box is about 80 to 85% filled, you want to put on the next box and let them fill that. And I encourage people to keep feeding them until they get that box pretty well filled out. The bees will know, once you have a good nectar flowing, the bees won't take that sugar water because they prefer the real mm, thing. Yeah. So you really can't overfeed. In fact, you want to be careful that it doesn't go rancid and to get rid of it if it has, if they're not taking it. So many so analogies. I, I tend to think in terms of analogies, and especially when you're talking about all the social aspects of it, but the kinds of things that, uh, you know, people need in the community and that kind of thing, and you can see all that in the, in the beehives, and I think that that's just awesome. It is. All right, so any last thoughts before we say if goodbye? You've, I think that if anybody's ever kicked around the idea of becoming a beekeeper, mm -hmm. go for it. Um, it's it's just such a wonderful thing to become involved in. Um, if, if it's something that interests you and you have a desire to do it, I encourage you to go for it and step in. Come to one of the meetings and get some questions answered and, and, and jump in. Yeah, because there's lots yeah. of help out there. Lots of help. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah you, you're not on your own unless you want to be. Anything? Uh, I was just going to say any time of the year really is a good time to get started. You can start now because you're going to have another nectar flow in the fall. So, you know, if you have to feed them, that's fine. They'll have plenty of food um, and be able to build up so that they're ready for the winter. Because in the winter, the bees go into a cluster. And in the north, they stay in a cluster. In Texas, they come out flying and... In the middle of January, they'll find things that are blooming and bring in nectar and pollen. Great thing about living in Texas. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so beekeepers meet on? The third Monday of every month. At the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service Office, a 9020 Airport Road. If you need more information, you can check out um, mocobees.com. Yep. Yep. Facebook page, do we say yes? They so? do have a Facebook page okay. as well, yes. And then, of course, the extension office. You can get lots of information about beekeeping or any of the other kinds of things that we yep. have going on. Yep, they have uh, several hives up there at the extension office, and if people don't really realize they're there, mm -hmm. they're hidden a little bit behind the fence. They, they are. They're, they're tucked back there so we don't scare people right. too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Judy and Kim, for being with us today. We really thank appreciate you. it. You've got so much great information, and I'm sure that there's lots more we could talk about, and I apologize. I was kind of like all over the place because I'm That's just really okay, fascinated Amy. with it. Um, and so every Friday we do the extension uh, hour, 1 to 2 p.m. right here on Lone Star Radio. We talk about our people, our programs, and our partnerships, and we appreciate you being our people as a master gardener and, and beekeepers. And we will be back next Friday and, uh, of course, every Friday. So thank you so much for, for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for checking out this show on Lone Star Community Radio, Montgomery County's community radio station. This show is owned and produced by Lone Star Community Radio and recorded live from the LSCR studios in downtown Conroe, Texas. 
For more information about the show, to be a guest, or to sponsor, just contact the studio at 936-647-3776 to leave a message, or email us at lscrstudios at gmail.com.